At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. I would like to uh, invite you now to take out your Bibles and turn in them uh, in the New Testament to the book of James and chapter number one of the book of James. We are continuing our series that we have entitled Tough Times, Finding Perspective in the Face of Suffering. And today is actually part number three of that series. And then we'll be concluding it with part number four, Lord willing, next week. Now, many American novels open with a classic, stereotypical first line. And that first line is this. It was a dark and stormy night. But isn't that what it feels like when a tough time comes into our life? It feels very dark and it feels very stormy. And when those times come in our life, I think our first response is, why, God, why do you have me in this novel? And this isn't the way I wanted the novel to run. What do the next chapters hold for me, God? Those are natural questions that we would have. And when we're talking about tough times, remember, tough times are called tough times because they are tough, right? And tough times will affect our heart, they'll touch our soul, they'll penetrate into us deeply. And as we have seen in this little study, there are way more than 31 flavors of tough times. Maybe the tough time that God brings in our life is a mysterious, devastating disease. Maybe it's Having mom or dad set you down as a young person and say, we are getting a divorce. Maybe it's a tough time that is a life-changing, severe injury that comes into our life. Maybe it's getting news from the doctor that you're never going to be able to have children. Maybe the tough time is caregiving, where we have aging parents that we give care to, or a spouse that we give care to, or a special needs child that we give care to. And there can be myriads and myriads and myriads of other kinds of tough times. This morning, I was up very early, and I was in the meditation room, the small room in the house, and uh, suddenly the power went out in our whole division. I'm in this little room in the pitch black. Now, what's the first thing you need when you find yourself in the pitch black? You want to find a flashlight to help illumine the situation, you know, give you some orientation, give you some direction so that you can function. And I certainly wanted to finish my business in the little room. I had my phone. Thank you, Lord. I couldn't see anything. couldn't see my hand in front of my face. When the phone came on, I, I, I got some orientation to things and I got some direction. That's what Scripture is to us in a tough time. It will help illumine the situation. It will give us some orientation. It gives us some direction so that we can function. And one of the things I love about the Word of God is that it is very real. It is very, very real. For example, you have the book of Psalms. Do you know that there are 67 of the Psalms that are what they call lament Psalms? That's where the author is frequently asking the question, why God? Or, or where are you, God? That's 45% of the Psalms. 
The Word of God is very, very real. And the Word of God will help to illumine our situation. It will give us some orientation. It will give us some direction so that we can function. Now, when tough times come in our life, I think there are four common reactions to tough times that people tend to have. Uh, Some would say, well, you just grin and you bear it. The tough time comes, you knuckle down, you grunt, you slog, you plod through it in your own power. Another common reaction is to get mad. Maybe we get mad at God or we get mad at other people. Third common reaction when tough times come is to withdraw, maybe to isolate from God or to isolate from others, to become deeply self-focused, to start holding a pity party. And then another common reaction to tough times is to really, once the tough time is gone, we spend the rest of our life in what I call the why zone, where we really need answers from God. I mean, come on. Now, all of us, all of us have been through tough times, and all of us, if we had the opportunity, would want to make a personal appointment to sit down in God's celestial office and request some answers to the why question. We would all like to be able to do that. But here's the thing about these four common reactions. They are all spiritually counterproductive. Ultimately, they are all unsatisfying, and all of them are detrimental to our spiritual life. But Scripture does shed some light on the why question. Now, if you've been with us in our study, we have been looking at seven pivotal points of perspective that we need to have as we face tough times. We've already looked at several of them. First of all, we saw that we must always remember we live in a broken world. This is a broken world. This is not the way God designed it to be. Secondly, we must expectantly look ahead to God's promise of full deliverance. This life is not the end. Most of our existence is going to be in eternity. And then thirdly, we have looked at the fact we must constantly rest in God's sovereignty. We get a sense of security by doing that. And then fourthly, we must regularly revel in his consistent character and his great love. Remember Isaiah 43.1. Do not fear, you are mine. Now, this morning we're going to look at number five. And that is, this is a key perspective as we face tough times, we should reflectively review his revealed answers to why. Isn't that an interesting word, the word why? It's such a little word, three letters in English, but it's such a big question. But it's encouraging to know that God knows we're not robots. God knows that we have questions that reverb in our mind. You know, if trouble occurs, a machine does not panic. Trouble occurs, a machine does not struggle with anxiety. A machine does not question some grand providential plan. A machine, when there's trouble, doesn't start to have concerns about tomorrow. God knows we're not machines. He he designed us to be sensitive, to be thinking, to be feeling and perceiving beings. Now, as we look at this, reflectively reviewing his revealed answers to why, I want to make one thing very clear up front. 
I do not even pretend to know what God is doing in your life. You know, that's just something that is between you and God. But we do want to look at five answers to the why question that we find in the New Testament. All right, so let's do that. Here's the first answer, revealed answer to why God would bring tough times, and that is to deepen our spiritual character. This is the most frequently cited reason in the New Testament. The largest amount of verses that address tough times and answer the question why are built around this one to deepen our spiritual character. And I would like to read from James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. I'm going to be reading from the NIV because I think it smooths a few things out. Here's what James writes. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, and they come in many different flavors, don't they? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then he goes on to say, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Do you see here what it's saying is that tough times have a goal not to ruin us, but to refine us, not to discourage or destroy our life, but to develop us. You see, God's plan for you and God's plan for me goes beyond the idea that we would be adopted into God's family, which is a wonderful thing. It goes beyond the idea that we would inherit salvation, which is an incredible thing. His plan for you and me goes beyond that because he wants you and me, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. God's aim, as it says in Romans 8, 29, is that we would be conformed to the image of his son. Now, when I look at that, the last time I checked with myself, (laughs) I have a long way to go to be conformed to the image of Christ. But that is his aim for us as his beloved adopted child. He wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ. Therefore, he carefully crafts spiritual development for each one of his children. It's part of why he brings tough times in our life. Now let's go back to James 1. James says there, Consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, that little phrase, considerate, is actually an accounting term. We could translate it, count it pure joy, or put it in the column of joy. Now, the moment we see that, that that's an accounting term that tells us we need to count it this way or put it in a certain column, we know that he's telling us that we must make a volitional decision. It's not an emotional thing. He's not wanting us to have an emotional response. He's not saying conjure up an emotional feeling of joy when the tough time comes in your life. That's not what he's saying at all. You know, picture in your mind, especially if you're an accountant, you can do this. You have a ledger. Maybe it's on your computer now. It used to be on a book, right? A ledger book. 
And here's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to count it pure joy. I want you to put it in a particular column when it comes in your life. Don't put it, the tough time, in a self-pity column. You know, don't say, why, God, is it always me? It's me again? Man, I had a tough time, you know, three or four or five months ago, a year ago. Don't put it in the self-pity column. Don't say, well, you've probably forgotten me. That's why I'm in the middle of this. He says, no, 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 don't count it there. Don't put it in that column. Don't put it in the complaint column. Don't say, God, this is, uh, this is random, this is haphazard, there's no, there's no design in this, this is unfair, I don't think you care, doesn't feel like you're even there. He says, don't put it in the complaint column, don't put it in the self-pity column. What he's saying is, put it in the spiritual development column when a tough time comes. Because part of the reason for it is that I might become more like Christ. And there's joy in that to become more like the Savior. I want you to notice he goes on to say, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that. Many translations say, knowing that. In other words, look at the outcome. Focus on the outcome. And he goes on to say, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. If you've been around Wildwood, we've talked about this word that is translated perseverance here. It's the word in the original, hupomene, H-U-P-O-M-O-N-E. Hupomene refers to the ability to hold up spiritually under pressure. Because the testing of your faith gives you the ability to hold up spiritually under pressure. Part of what he's arguing is this, that the ability to hold up spiritually under pressure, anyone want that in their life? I do. It's developed by episodes of holding up under pressure. Many years ago, many years ago now, I decided to run in the Brookhaven Run. I'm going to run the 4K, which is... I don't know, roughly two and a half miles. How do you get ready to run in a race like that or any race? Well, you have to begin to train, and you, you run a certain amount of distance, and then maybe you walk a little bit, and then you run a little bit more, and progressively you want to run a longer distance, and then a longer distance, and, and then a longer distance, and then maybe a little faster in the longer distance, and, and then you're prepared to really run the race. So that's the picture here of all of this that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, the ability to hold up spiritually under pressure, and we develop that more the more that we do that. I want you to look at a parallel passage from Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. He says there, we exult in our tribulations. The word exult really means to take appropriate pride in our tribulations, and this is a word we've seen before, the word philipsis, T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S, refers to everything just sort of crushing in and pressing in on you. He says, we exult in all these things happening to us. Here we go again. Knowing that tribulation brings about hupomene, perseverance, and perseverance, what? Brings about proven character. 
knowing that it brings these things to be. What is it saying? It's saying that God uses tough times at times to deepen our spiritual character and to develop Christ-likeness in our life. I want to go back to James 1. Very interesting statement. He says, let perseverance finish its work. I think the ESV says, let it have its full effect so that, what's the effect that we need to go to? We may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. See how these so that's become real important. There are pointers, pointers. The, the, the idea here is some yielding that we have to do, some leaning into the process that we have to do. Now, how many people here have ever had surgery? Let me see your hands. We have less of a percentage of people in here than we did in the first service. Man, everybody had had surgery in the first service, but many of us have. And what is really surgery all about? There's pain involved, right? But what do we do in surgery? We yield to the pain to focus on the outcome. You know, and uh, I've been through major surgery numbers of times, and, you know, they prep you up, and they put you on a cart, and then they cart you into the operating room, and then they want to transfer you to the operating table. And I've noticed several times when I've gone in there and they've been transferring me because I've done it enough, I start looking around and I've noticed there's a lot of sharp surgical instruments in there. Can you imagine me saying at that point, oh, ho, ho, I see a bunch of sharp tools in here. I'm out of here, you know, get up, boom, and I run right out of the room. I don't do that. I see the sharp tools there, but what I decide is I want to yield to the ultimate positive effect that's going to come due to my surgery. And for us in, in the tough times realm, that means the positive ultimate effect is that we would be more mature, we would be more spiritually complete, we would be more like Jesus. And so, five revealed answers to why. The first one is to deepen our spiritual character. The idea is that tough times are carefully crafted by the Heavenly Father to be transformational in your life and mine. Spiritual character grows best in the soil of difficulty. It's in tough times that God is training you and me, that God is building you and me, that God is developing you and me, that God is, yes, changing you and me. Now, focus is a big key here. Now, stick with me here. Just lean in a little bit. As a follower of Jesus, if my focus is merely on being healthy and wealthy and comfortable, when a tough time comes, I will tend to resist, rebel, complain, get angry, or get embittered. But now watch this. If we remember the goal 
is to deepen our spiritual character. The goal is to make us more like Christ. It's far easier to lean into it, to yield to what God is doing. Revealed answers to why tough times. The first one, to deepen our spiritual character. The second one we want to look at. Why? To expand our ministry in serving and encouraging others. Beyond even increasing our endurance and developing our spiritual character, part of what God wants to do when he allows tough times into our life, now now a lot of people miss this, is he wants to equip us. He wants to equip us. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. And I want to read for you verses 3 and 4 of 2 Corinthians 1. Paul writes there in chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He says, blessed be the Father of mercies. He's the originator of mercy. He is the God of all comfort. Now, when a tough time comes to us, how does God minister to us? How does he do it? Verse 4. He comforts us in all our affliction and all that ellipsis, that pressing and crushing that comes on us. He comforts us in all of that. But you'll notice we have that little phrase again right here in verse 4, so that He wants us to be able to do something. He wants us to be equipped. He wants us to be prepared for something. What is it? So that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. See, God will have a comfort ministry in our life But part of the benefit of that comforting ministry that comes to us does not end when the affliction ends. Follow me here. Because he wants us to become flesh and blood agents of his comfort to other people. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 15, it says that we are to to weep with those who weep. How do you learn how to do that? Well, when we ourselves experience pain, when we ourselves experience tears, we're qualified now to weep with those who weep. You know, one of the greatest illustrations of this principle to expand our ministry in serving and encouraging others, maybe the greatest one I've ever heard of, because it's so extreme, is the life of Johnny Erickson Tada. Many of you know her story and her background that when she was a young woman, She had a diving accident, and she became a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the neck down. Now, just try to picture that happening to you. Why would God do that? Well, part of what she said and believed is that 
He wanted to expand her ministry in serving and encouraging other people. And she believes one of the reasons why she became a quadriplegic is so that she could share the sufficiency of God to other quadriplegics, so that she could share the comfort of God with other quadriplegics. Now, I, I'm, I might minimally be effective in coming to someone who has become a quadriplegic and sharing some of the f- sufficiency of God. But if I'd actually experienced it, man, I'd be a whole lot more effective at sharing the comfort and sufficiency of God. Just the way God does things. Many of you know I've, I've battled prostate cancer two different times And this principle really helped me because I knew when it happened, this is part of what God was doing in my life to expand my ministry and serving and encouraging other people. And in all of the years and years since this has happened, I have talked to dozens and dozens of men. You know, pre, they're discovering a treatment for how they were going to deal with prostate cancer and post having dealt with prostate cancer. Why does that happen? Because someone who's going to go through it, wants to talk to someone who's been through it. Who is best to counsel a woman who is post-abortive, who has had an abortion in her life, in her past? Who can help most with that? Well, if you've also experienced an abortion in your past, I mean, there's a simpatico that exists there. Who best to, to give some comfort to someone who's lost their job than someone else who's lost their job and seeing you can come out the other side? How about someone who's been bullied? Who better to help them than someone who has experienced bullying? Someone whose parents are divorcing, if someone else has had that experience, that means something to them. Who best to minister to someone who has become a widow than somebody else who's been a widow? That's one of the reasons why we have Anna's friends here at Wildwood. Now, Now, at first, hang in there with me. This is easy to miss. We don't often think this way, but tough times uniquely qualify us to minister comfort and to encourage other people. And those who are in the midst of a tough time are always looking for somebody else who's been through it before them, right? Now, that doesn't mean we can't help someone unless we've had the same experience. Notice it says there in... in, uh, Verse 4, you are equipped then to comfort those who are in any affliction, not just the one that you've been through, in any affliction. In the original, this really means each and every affliction. I like the way Edith Schaefer put it. She put it this way, the most effective school to train comforters is the school of life because we learn how God comforts us. And here's the thing to remember. Tough times attract the attention of people all around us. When we're going through a tough time, if it's a medical tough time, there's doctors and nurses who are noticing. There's maybe extended family who are noticing when we're going through a tough time. There may be neighbors who are noticing. There's maybe coworkers who are noticing. And part of what this principle is teaching us is we need to learn... Lean in here that we need to turn our tough times into testimony, that we need to turn our mess into ministry, 
We need to see our tough time as a platform to point people to Christ. Because, why? We are all called to play a role in what God is doing, right? Therefore, we need training. And that's part of why he brings tough times in our life. You see, part of our assignment from God is, as it says in 2 Corinthians 4.10, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. That's part of our assignment. That the life of Jesus may be manifested in our life. So why does he bring tough times? Well, first to deepen our spiritual character and then to expand our ministry in serving and encouraging others. And then the third answer to why he would bring tough times is to discipline us when we drift significantly. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to look at a few verses in Hebrews chapter 12. You can read through the whole chapter later. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, he is quoting from Proverbs 3, where it says, Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And then if your eyes go down to verse 9, it says, We had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, earthly fathers, verse 10, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of of righteousness. Now, he's not talking, when we're talking here about discipline from the Father, he's not talking about divine condemnation or judgment. You know, that fell completely on Jesus on the cross. He's talking about corrective discipline that a father has to do with his children from time to time. This past week, it was actually on Monday, uh, we had both of our cars in the garage, and I was sort of, you know, going down the side of the garage with the car behind me, trying to walk through there, and I didn't notice that we had a push broom laying up against the wall. And I stepped on that push broom and whack, like right that in the side of my head. I mean, it it was, wow, did that hurt my ear. It was just like someone had taken the handle, that push broom went whoop, you know, right up the side of my head. And you know what's really interesting about that is sometimes we view the discipline of God that way. You know, like he has a broom handle, and we have a wrong thought, and whoop, right up the side of the head. Ah, you said a wrong word, whoop, right up the side of the head. That's not the idea of spiritual discipline. And that's why this word significantly is in here. To discipline us when we drift significantly, not for every little thing that we do. I mean, we'd be black and blue all the time. He was doing that. You know, the illustration we've already used is the illustration of Jonah, you know? Go to Nineveh, Jonah. No, I'm going the opposite way. Well, spend your spring break in the belly of a fish. Whack. It's a significant thing. We see this mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is hard to believe, but it says that some of the Corinthians were actually abusing the Lord's table. They were being very cavalier. They were being very careless. They were actually gorging themselves on some food that they brought. Some of them were getting drunk at the Lord's table. 
and then other people had absolutely nothing. And Paul says, because of that, some of you are sick. You have illness in your life. It's a little discipline from the Lord. Many of you know the story of my youngest sister, Laurie. Uh, Laurie was, uh, came to Christ when she was young, but as she went through her teen years and into her young adulthood, she made every bad choice that you could think of, short of murder, really. And she was in her rebellion, and she was working at an industrial job, and she had a desk in this industrial job right in front of this big picture window. And she knew what she was doing. She knew it was some significant drifting and wandering that she was doing. She gets up out of her desk, and she walks about 15 feet over there, and this automobile comes blasting right through the window, blew up the desk where she was sitting. She knew God was disciplining her, and, and, and she repented, and she turned her life around, and many of you know that she's been in vocational Christian ministry now more than 25 years, but here's the point. A, the loving father is not satisfied having a beloved adopted child who chooses in a significant way to wallow in foolishness and fleshly behavior. Now, I want to tell you, my experience in the Christian community is this. When we talk about this idea of being disciplined by the Father, and there's two extremes I see. One extreme is to overemphasize the discipline from the Father so that every tough time in my life is a spanking from God. That's an overemphasis. Another extreme is, though, to ignore this principle and to never even consider it when a tough time comes in our life. Now, I think that most tough times in our life have nothing to do with sin and disobedience, but we should pause long enough to reflect, is there a clear sin in my life as this tough time has come that I have been tolerating? Or in the words of Nancy Sinatra from her song in 1966, have I been messing where I shouldn't be a messing? It's a good question ask. We see in Proverbs 28, verse 13, people who cover their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and forsake them, they will receive mercy. I don't know what's going on in your life. Is there something that you should confess today? Where you've been messing where you shouldn't be a messing? Because when we do that, as it says in Hebrews 12, 11, it will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So why? Tough times. To deepen our spiritual character, to expand our ministry in serving and encouraging others, to discipline us when we drift significantly. Number four, to point us to his sufficiency. Hey, when everything's going smoothly in our life, what is our tendency we start to operate very self-sufficiently, right? We start to just sort of run our own life. We go on spiritual autopilot. Whenever tough times, though, show up, it heightens our dependency, right? Whenever a tough time shows up, we rediscover new depths of our dependency on God. Now, we're going to focus on this one more next time. That's why you want to come next week. We're going to look more at the resources 
that God has given us, and he wants to remind us often of those resources. That's why he brings a tough time in our life. So why tough times? To deepen our spiritual character, expand our ministry in serving and encouraging others, to discipline us when we drift significantly, to point us to his sufficiency. And the fifth revealed reason is really just part of the mystery of his will. We may never know this side of heaven why God did it. And, and one of the ways to illustrate this is the experience of Adon Niram Judson. Many of you have heard about him, perhaps. He was the first to bring Christianity to Burma. Burma today is known as Myanmar. You'll see that it's bordered by India and bordered by Thailand. And Judson was the very first one to bring Christianity to that land. And Philip Yancey tells a little of the hardship in Judson's life. He says, hardship stalked his life. When war broke out with England, the Burmese arrested Judson because he was light-skinned and English-speaking. He looked and talked like the enemy. Judson was force-marched barefoot for eight miles to a prison where each night the guards passed a bamboo pole between his heavily shackled legs and hoisted the lower part of his body high off the ground. Blood rushed to his head, preventing sleep and causing fierce cramps in his shoulders and back. Clouds of mosquitoes feasted on the raw flesh of his feet and legs, and treatment like this went on for almost two years. Judson managed to endure only because his devoted wife brought him food each day and would plead with the guards for better treatment. A few months after his release, Judson's wife, weakened by smallpox, died of fever. And shortly after that, their baby daughter also died. Judson nearly had a breakdown. He would kneel by his wife's grave for hours each day, regardless of weather. Eventually, he built a one-room hut in the jungle and worked in solitude on a translation of the Bible in the Burmese language. Only a handful of Burmese showed any interest in the Christian message. Now just think about how he's processing why these tough times. He goes on to stay there 34 years in all. And while he didn't see this, Because of his faithfulness, more than 3 million Christians in that country today trace their spiritual roots to Judson. The dictionary he compiled, now nearly 200 years old, remains the official dictionary of Myanmar. Now, I want to say it again. I do not pretend to know what God is doing in your life. He's the one who's large and in charge. He is the one who has a plan and purpose in what he does. But I do also want to say this. We talk about some of these reasons we've been looking at. It is very important to remember that when the tough time actually hits you with fury, when you are in the midst of the process, it's difficult to process wise because we're in shock, right? You know, a loved one just, we didn't know it was coming, and they die. We're just numb. We're disoriented. The pain is too great. 
You know, many of you know that after one of my surgeries, I had what's called an ileus. That means that my system wasn't functioning, and so my stomach became totally bloated up with gas. I was nauseous. I couldn't even move. I thought I was going to explode. You think I was processing the whys right then? No, the best I could do is put my head against the wall and just say, Lord, help me. Help me. Some of you know that my son Kyle... His first child, which they had already named Hannah, was carried to full term. And just before they were anticipating her birth, I got a call late one night from my son, and he said, Dad, we can't find her heartbeat. Now, what do you think I did? Did I say, hey, wait a minute, now let's review the whys of why God brings tough times in our lives. No, I mean, I'm praying for him, I'm being there for him, I'm I'm comforting him. Hey, listen, the truth is that tough times sometimes don't have a happy ending. And they lost their daughter. Now, God in his grace has given him four sons since then. But here's the thing. When we know Jesus and those tough times come, we have a living God who understands what we're going through. He has a plan and a purpose. He is there for us with comfort and hope. And he will walk with us. And he will resource us in the midst of that tough time, which is part of what we're going to talk about next time. I just want to sort of draw to close with a benediction that's found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. It says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us, and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace. May he comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. It's a great thought. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you again for Scripture. We need it desperately. We thank you that you've given us these revealed reasons to why you allow tough times in our life. May you encourage us, Father, that you are a God who gives comfort and good hope by grace. And for any of us who are right in the midst of one tough time right now, may you comfort and strengthen their hearts for your honor, for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 